Welcome to Stories for the Future, a podcast on a mission to get you excited and optimistic about the huge challenges and changes we are facing on this beautiful planet called Earth. My name is Vesleman Klavnesberge, and in this season, I want you to get into action. We all have special superpowers, and we are all needed to get us back on track for a great future. So please join me in my search for the superheroes with the superpowers. And if you at some point think that, hmm, I could do this, then go out and do it or make that connection. Write that email, start that company. With 7.8 billion superheroes, there's no way we couldn't make it. So let's start. It's game on. Welcome to yet another episode of Stories for the Future. Today, my guest is Arjun Shui Hari. He's originally from India, now living in Madrid, Spain. We met digitally, as everything else these days, at an event about half a year ago. I thought he had so many ideas and was so full of determination to make things happen. So really early, we started talking about having a chat on this podcast. But it actually got even more relevant after I decided on the theme for this season, which is creating action and realizing that action is what Arjun is all about. He started his career with a strategic communications consultancy, which has been responsible for electing over 35 heads of state across the world, such as Bill Clinton and Tony Blair, just to name a few. After that, he spent 15 months traveling across India to look for his next big challenge and realized very quickly that he was passionate about protecting the environment and fighting climate change. Towards the end of his travels, while being trained as a climate reality leader, he co-founded a rooftop solar company to help accelerate India's transition to renewable energy. He helped grow this company successfully for five years before stepping away from the business to join the IE Business School in Madrid to pursue his MBA. He's currently on the hunt for his next adventure in the sustainability, climate action, climate tech space. And it is especially this hunt I was interested in this dedication to find something which combines his talents, skills, interests, and at the same time makes the biggest impact possible, in a positive direction, of course, to restore people and the planet. Arjun has a lot of interesting stuff to share, and you should definitely check out the show notes for all the resources and networks he will talk about. And because there was so much content here, I found it would be best to split this episode into two parts. And you should, of course, listen to both. In this first part, we dig deep into Arjun's experiences in building up the solar company in India and the barriers to get people to transition to renewable energy. You will also get some really interesting tips on different networks you can join which are related to climate and that are very much geared towards action. I'm absolutely certain you will get a lot of value from this. So please enjoy. Here is Arjun Shrihari. So welcome so much to the podcast, Arjun. 
Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad to be here. Yes, I'm. I have really been looking forward to this, and uh, first of all, because we started planning this in spring, I think. That's right. <laughs> yes, so a long planning, and also because I think that your uh, your mindset and the way that you're t- thinking right now is really perfect for this season's um, theme, which is action. So no, well, we will I'm, get I'm, back to that. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad that you think that. I think. Um... I, I think we should always be geared towards action, and so I, I, I also resonate a lot with the theme of your season. And I think, yeah. especially right now in the time that we're in, and with all the things that are happening, and with the conferences and COP twenty six and everything yes. coming up, I think action is, is is a very good theme. So congratulations yeah. to you and your season three. I'm looking forward to hear the rest of the uh, episodes as well. Yes, great. Uh, but just uh, briefly to start with, who are you? Who am I? Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, well, kind of like what we were discussing a, a, a little earlier. I'm a bit of a, um, a third generation multicultural kid. Um, I've, and I think that's, and I think that's actually that's that's really great. And it's 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 actually my upbringing and the way that I've lived in in various countries across the world has definitely influenced the way that I think. And the way that I interact with people in different cultures, um, and I'm very glad that it is that way. Um, but otherwise, who am I? I am just recently graduated with my MBA, and that's what brought me to Spain. Congratulations! Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and before that, I was uh, living in India. I was there for uh, 20 years, um, and just before I came to Spain for about five years. I spent um, that time building a renewable energy startup um, with two of my co-founders, and we were we we did it specifically in rooftop solar. And and of course, you know, I'm sure through the course of this conversation, we'll get into more details about how yeah. that happened, what happened, how we met, etc. Yes. Um, but very briefly, we met because I was attending a climate change conference by Al Gore's organization, Climate Reality, where they train train what we call climate leaders and that's how you and I met as well mm. um, and so we were literally we, was, we were sitting at the same table at, at that conference and and while we were sitting at at that table you know he was a few years younger than I was and the rest of the people on our table were actually a lot older than we were and we got to talking and we realized that you know it's wonderful what they're presenting at this conference but really what are we going to go out and do about it and when we were chatting about it he was a little further along in this idea than I was about wanting to start a company. Um, I was actually at that time I had quit my job and I was I had been traveling for about I had been traveling for about fifteen months at that time because uh, mm-hmm. anyway maybe through the course of this conversation we'll get into that discussion. That's a whole yeah. other discussion. <laughs> um, but a lot of my travels took me to a, a lot of rural places in India where they have a lot of indigenous wisdom in terms of the balance between nature and. Um, progress and development and, and just how they live their lives. And that really set me on a course to say that this is something that we've lost touch with, uh, which is why the environment is suffering. And of course, it also helped me realize that the environment is something that I'm very passionate about and that I want to work to protect. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I signed up for that conference. And that's what took me to that conference. And then it happened that I was sitting at that conference and at that table, I met my future <laughs> co-founder. And it was it was about a month or two months after that, that we started uh, we started our company together. Um, <laughs> and so, yes, I, I, I believe that everything happens for a reason and nothing is chance. Everything yeah. is serendipitous. And so 
I'm glad that I was sent on that path and I hope that I can continue to continue to go down that path. Yeah. So but you you live in you're living now in Spain and you're originally from India, right? That's right. I am yeah. living now in Spain. I'm in Madrid. I'm originally from India, but I was born in Singapore and I lived there. Oh yeah, yes. I lived there for 13 years. Yeah, exactly. But uh, could could you just share a little bit about your background? Like, where did you start, and what made you choose the different directions, or maybe change your directions at some point? Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think it's actually quite relevant to Mm. to at least you know how I started uh, sort of uh, becoming an entrepreneur. I I studied economics in college, um, and I I was studying in Bombay and Sinzi University. And my first job, I actually worked, um, it's quite relevant actually to, to a lot of the stuff that I feel about climate right now. I, I worked um, with an organization that was based out of the US. They were an American uh, headquartered uh, organization, but they had just op- opened an office in India. And their legacy is in political campaigning. So they actually help uh, heads of state uh, win elections. So they're responsible for, you know, 35 heads of state across the world, people like Tony Blair, Bill Clinton. Um, so, you know, the, the very sort of rich heritage in, in how they do that. And I was working with them um, uh, fresh out of college. That was my first job. Uh, and I learned a lot about, you know, how you how you use sort of statistical analysis to uh, inform on communication strategy is something that I think mm-hmm. is very important to sort of the climate crisis and how we sort of move forward. But unfortunately, the last campaign that we worked on, and, and they also used to work with MNCs and corporates and things like that. But the, the last political campaign that we worked on was Prime Minister Modi's campaign. And that's somebody that I don't, um, that I don't agree with in terms of his virtues mm. and his values and, and his, the, way that, um, the way that they're doing things in India right now. So as soon as the, uh, as soon as the campaign was over and he was, he was declared successful and and the next mm. prime minister of india i i resigned uh and 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 also that campaign took a lot out of me you know we were brought on a lot later and so i was working 32 hour days 36 hour days sometimes so I was, not only did i not resonate with what i was working on um it was also it it, it really burnt me out over those that six months or nine months that we worked on that campaign so i decided it was time to sort of uh step away from that even though it was work that i was very good at and, and and I wanted to figure out what it was that I wanted to do next. And and like I said, since I had spent the first 13 years of my life in, in Singapore, uh, I, I wanted to see my country. And I wanted to, mm. and India, as you know, is a very large country. Yes. And I wanted to sort of explore it and, and, and understand it better and, and really get a better sense for my roots. And so that's why I started traveling. When I started traveling, I said I was going to travel for three months or six months because that's actually probably what my savings, my bank balance could have supported. <laughs> um, but I ended up traveling for about, like I said, about 15 months. And it was wonderful. I, I mm. To anybody, to any young person, not even young, to any, to any person who's listening to this podcast, I highly recommend that you always make the time to invest in yourself. And I think travel is the best investment that you can make in yourself because it really mm. teaches you so much and, and opens your eyes to so many things, broadens your perspective, etc. But it was through the course of my travels, like I said, that I realized that it was the environment that I wanted to that I wanted to work on and protect. And I realized that we had lost this connection with nature that, you know, in uh, sort of in in traditional wisdom, they had sort of they had figured out so well, and I and I don't just mean in India; I mean across the world. And um, and so while I was doing that, is when I realized, okay, I wanted to start looking into how can I learn, and so I signed up for this conference, and that's where I met my co-founder, and that's how we eventually ended up starting a company as as very young entrepreneurs. But but we learned very quickly, and and it was it was a challenge to be honest, especially when you talk about solar in India because. 
they're very, at least back in 2015, which is when we started the company, it, they were very sort of very diversified, entrenched players there. And so as, as young uh, entrepreneurs, first-time entrepreneurs, and my co-founders were actually younger than I was, um, it was it was definitely a great learning process, but it was also um, trial by fire, you know. So it, mm. was, it, it was a challenge, but it was it was one of those stimulating challenges. So ha hasn't that risen quite uh, dramatically in India? The solar uh, uh, solar energy. Absolutely, part? yes. Isn't yes, that yes. one of the things that we learned uh, through the climate reality training? I think. Yes. D yes. Those graphs. Yes, absolutely. And, well, in fact, you know, as much as I, um, like I said, as much as I disagree with Prime Minister Modi and, and and the way that the way that he's doing things, one of the things that he did do when he first came into office was that India had um, a global target. Uh, I mean, a global target in the sense, a, a, a globally committed target um, of 20 gigawatts of solar and 100 gigawatts of renewable energy by 2022. And the first mm -hmm. one of the first things that he did when he came into office was he he actually uh, increased that target by five times. So the the solar target of 20 gigawatts became 100 gigawatts, wow. which is very ambitious. And and and, uh, and obviously it, it, it required uh, a, f a fair amount of uh, hard work and legwork and things like that. Um, but it the one thing that it did do, and, and of course, in order to enable that, it meant that they had to put a lot of policies in place, you know, policies that were favorable towards solar, towards renewable, etc., Mm. So it it really did push the industry in a major major way back in you know well we started our company in 2015 but he came to power in 2014 so it did get a uh, it did get a good push um, of course there are learnings from everything you know in terms of mm. how they did it there of course it wasn't all good and 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 I can give you a lot of a lot of <laughs> feedback in terms of like what didn't work and 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 what was maybe perhaps even restrictive in terms of policies or or what they could have done better maybe maybe that's a better mm. way of saying it. But, but it definitely gave a very, very strong push to solar, and that's why you'll see that India is actually is on track right now in terms of their mm. um, their targets. You know, like I said, 175 gigawatts of renewable energy by 2022, uh, and they're on track, which is which is a great thing for not just India but for the world. Because when you yeah. think about uh, what it means for India as a developing country, much like China, uh, to bring those many people from below the poverty line, because mm -hmm. One of the things that you have to realize is that India has, well, this is maybe a few years old, this information, so maybe it's changed the exact number. But India has 300 million people that don't have access to electricity. Mm. right? And, and, and then when you think about how many people, uh, what percentage of the population is below the poverty line and what percentage of the population is actually is moving outside of you know being below the poverty line. Mm. It means a lot in terms of what that means for energy, what it means for consumption, what it means for the collective carbon footprint of India as a country. And so yeah. therefore, when you think about how India enters this new age, because it is entering a new age from, well, you know, that's the hope as, as an mm. Indian. The hope is that we move from being a develop, developing country to, to a developed country as, as, as soon as possible. But what that means for the environment and the carbon footprint associated with that can be something that people have to take cognizance of. And so therefore, and so for my, to my mind, what he did in terms of pushing not just solar, but, you know, consciousness around sustainability um, was definitely a good thing. What we saw when we were starting out as, as entrepreneurs and we were thinking about getting into solar, what we, what we did see, and this is sort of, I'm setting sort of the context of why, I, also setting the context of why, why I did eventually leave. 
when we first started the company, the vision really was to say that solar is doing very well in India and it needs more push and it needs more young people as well to get, not just young people, but needs more people in general, especially young people, to get into the industry mm. and to really support the push that's coming from the government, from the private sector, uh, and, 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 and help involve as many people as possible. And so what we saw when we were starting out was that, yes, solar is doing well, but the what we call the CNI segment, which is commercial and industrial, or what you could also call the B2B segment, right? Mm. We saw that as doing as doing very well and also very easy to adapt to and so very easy for a company to come in. And, and I say all this with a pinch of salt. It was not that easy just to get into solar at B2B. It's probably easier now than it was back in 2015. But what we saw was that, hey, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of companies servicing the B2B segment and it's doing okay and it's heading in the right direction. So what we saw the gap as the B2C segment, which is primarily residential. And like I said, India is a large country with over mm. a billion people. And so if you are to think that you're going to leave all the work that needs to be done with respect to climate and sustainability just to the government and just to the private sector, then really what impact are you making when you have a billion people living in X number of homes and yeah. those homes have a carbon footprint, right? So we wanted to see how can we get to the consumer and say, we want to offer you a way that you can be more accountable in terms of your carbon footprint with respect to energy. If I tell you a short story, one of the things that, that really convinced me, or, which is what, one, what my co-founder, Dave, Dave Aurora, was sort of related to me, was that he said, hey, you know, I wanted to take my home solo and I wanted to do it. And I reached out to a bunch of vendors and they all gave me extremely confusing information. Everybody was saying different things, which made me feel that either they don't know what they're talking about or I haven't understood them correctly. They all gave me conflicting costs, conflicting technologies. You know, it, the, nothing was, uh, nothing sort of made sense to him. And, it, and, mm. and, and that meant that he was not ready to take a decision. And, you say, and, 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 and he's a young person and, and, and he's, he's an engineer by, by training, not like me. And so he said, if, if I struggle with this, can yeah. you imagine what sort of, you know, the everyday man is, is yeah. going through when, when if, he, if he has the inclination to go solar and therefore be more sort of sustainable in his lifestyle? He says, we need to solve this problem, which is that we need to come in and we need to make it easier for people, A, for people who want to switch, that they can, we, can, we can enable or facilitate this transition right, to solar. But B, it also has to be easy enough that we get the people who do not want to switch. We get the people who are not mm -hmm. thinking about it. And, 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 and that never happens unless it's easy. And it always happens if there's an economic viable case, which there was. Mm. Even back in 2014, solar was economically more viable than taking energy from the conventional grid, which is fossil fuel based. And so we were thinking about all these things that they were telling us at the Climate Reality Conference, at this training conference. It's all right for us to live in this little bubble where we, we, we sit amongst our climate leaders and we believe that we're doing a great thing by joining this climate leader workforce. But really, once we leave the conference, what are we doing besides giving presentations? Yes, you exactly. So therefore, exactly. we said, okay, that's now let's start a business. And if mm -hmm. we start a business, where should we start a business? Should we start in the B2B space or B2C space? Well, we decided to do both because, to be honest, the B2C space is a whole other Ball game in terms of how you pitch solar. You know, when you pitch solar to a business, it's very different to when you pitch it to a homeowner. You know, their inclinations are different, their leanings are different, their hesitations around, uh, you know, adopting that technology are different. 
you know, businesses think of, you know, they think a little bit more in terms of the economic case, you know, what is the impact on my bottom line? What does this mean? What is my risk in terms of, you know, allowing somebody else to come into my property, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Homeowners think of something completely different. They think of, hey, is this, is this company trying to cheat me? Am I getting the best deal? <laughs> Can I shop hmm. around for, uh, you know, a better price? Is this technology where it needs to be or should I wait a few years? Is there going to be a subsidy that I can, that will take something off? And, and you know, is, is that subsidy going to increase? Um, is it going to look ugly? Is it going to make my house look ugly? You know, <laughs> is it, is it, is my roof going to collapse and kill my family members? These are the things that, that they, that they think of, which are, which are all valid questions. Absolutely. But of course there are, there are very simple answers to them. Right. And so it's, but it's a different pitch. So when we started, we, we, we did start the company knowing that there's a very clear divide between the B2B business and the B2C business. And we, we tried to also, uh, while we were building out the team, of course, all of that comes much later, uh, you know, in, in, in the first year, it was just three, three, three boys in a room, you know, but, um, but when we were building out the team much later, we did sort of, we were cognizant of that, of that difference, which is building out a B2B team, which is very different from the B2C team. And, mm. and, and I, I took charge of, the, of building out that B2C team. Uh, apart from other things, as an entrepreneur, you wear many many hats. Mm. So primarily, my focus was on was on marketing, partnerships, and sort of the branding, creating the brand, and and uh, and really getting the word out about the company, and and sort of being the being the face of the company, and, and representing it at, at at conferences and things like that. But but also building out the residential team, which is the B two C team. And so we saw when we were studying models around the world, we saw that a company in the US uh, called Solar City, which is one of Elon Musk's companies mm. run actually now by his brother or has been run by his brother Kimball. Um, but he's very involved with it. And it, it sort of plugs into, you know, the way that Elon Musk works in many, many fields that are all in, interconnected. But we, we studied that model um, very carefully, Solar City, and, and we saw, and to our mind, it, it made so much sense, which is that what he's saying is that, you know, if the barrier to adoption of this technology and this lifestyle, sustainable lifestyle is cost then how do we figure out sort of financial innovations to allow people to adopt it? And so what they did was they said, okay, we, you don't pay for the infrastructure. We'll front the cost of your infrastructure. And you let enter into a long-term power purchase agreement with us, which is called a PPA. And you pay us for every unit of energy that is generated by the system that we have installed at our cost. And that's how we recoup our money. And so therefore, over a, you know, a longer period of time, which is the length of the of the contract you pay us but you pay us less than what you pay the grid you know so mm -hmm. when you think about it from a, a a value proposition standpoint it's a no-brainer at least that's what we thought you know which is it's mm. a win-win situation because from day one as an as, as a as a b2c residential consumer if you if you opt for this ppa and it works the same way in, in the business world as well if you offer this ppa you don't have to put out this initial outlay of expenditure but you make savings on your energy day from day one Right, because it's cheaper. Yeah. So we wanted to bring this model to India and say, okay, let's pilot this here and, 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 and really help uh, uh, complement all the great work that's happening in the B2B side done by, like I said, primarily by government and business. And let's, um, let's help homeowners be, uh, be more, um, uh, be less on their carbon footprint with respect to energy. Funnily enough, this model didn't take in India. It didn't <laughs> so for very no for various reasons. No, it didn't take. Um, and 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 of course, I mean, if if you're interested in getting into that, I can. But we pivoted to other models then, uh, because I mean, we we 
we, we continued with that model to try, but what we were seeing was that the traction was not so great with that model. And that's what, and that, that also sort of, it also ties into what I was saying about, you know, earlier about how we live in our own bubbles. Mm. And so here we were three boys sitting in a room. I keep saying boys, but actually, you know, we were not boys. We were just young is what I mean by boys. Young men. You know, three young men sitting in this room working on these assumptions that we had, right, which which we thought were based on logic and reason mm. and, and, you know, the rational consumer and things like that. But you really have to take your model, and that's and that's a lot, and this is also a lesson for entrepreneurship, is you really have to take mm. your model outside of your bubble and test it in the real world and see whether people think the same way that you don't, that mm. the same way that you do. And if, you, if they don't, then you have to make those changes very quickly because otherwise you'll fail as a business. And so initially, it was very challenging for us to come to terms with the fact that why is nobody responding to this amazing model? And there were very few people bringing this model to the residential uh, segment back in 2015 when we started. You know? And mm-hmm. so we were, we were scratching our heads and we were at wit's end thinking, why is this not working? You know, what is wrong with people? Yeah. What, what, what are we doing wrong? Or, or what is wrong with them that they would not want this? This makes complete sense. Why would they not want this? And, and and so we were at we were at loggerheads where we were saying okay something is wrong, but really what it was is that is that the Indian market is a certain way and you know conditioning social conditioning, uh, you know just sort of behavioral conditioning is a certain way in in different places in the world and and it just so happens that in India, the consumer likes to own the asset A, you know, um, B he he he, he or she uh, does not want to be tied to a company especially a young company that is a fledgling mm. company and has not sort of proven itself or does not have a track record of X number of years of business, you know? And so mm. if I tell them that, Hey, I'm going to enter into a, when, the, when we first started out, they were 20 year agreements. And then eventually we were able to get them down to 12 year agreements. You know, that's how the costs make sense. But, you know, to, to go to a, to go to a, to go to a, a much older man, because usually when you, when in India, when you, when you go to the sort of the, the head of the household, unfortunately, it's 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 usually an old man. <laughs> it would be no, I mean, it's unfortunate. I, I wish we were dealing with more women, you know, when it came to, mm. uh, to to the households, because we we found that when the women were involved in the decision, the decision happened much faster, and it was it was yeah. definitely much more fav- in favor of the environment, and that's why that's why they always say that you know a lot of these matriarchal systems are a lot better for the environment. There are a lot yes. of studies that say this, and so. When we were dealing with these old men, you know, they would they would look at us as, you know, who are these young kids? Do they know what they're talking about? Are they technically qualified to even speak to me about this? You know, do, do they know the technology? Do they know how to install what is considered a mini infrastructure project on my roof? Are they even going to be around for the next two years? You know, forget mm. 20 years. And so therefore, when we say, hey, we're going to enter into a contract with you for 20 years, immediately there's this red flag that pops up in their mm. head. They say, hey, what if you go bankrupt, you know, five years from now, two years from now, two days from now? what happens to me and my system. So therefore there was a lot that we had to do in terms of trying to prove those credentials. And that was obstructing the good work that we were trying to do in terms of getting people to switch to solar. And so we pivoted very quickly. Anyway, to cut a very long story short, we pivoted very quickly to a model where we would facilitate a loan from a financing institution. And so the return on their investment was slightly longer. So we had three models. We had a model where they could buy it out upfront from us, buy it outright, and then we would, we would basically take care of the maintenance for the next, uh, you know, because solar is a thirty-year li- is is basically like a thirty-year life on your system. So we would pick up the maintenance contract for thirty years, um, or you had this other model, which is what we thought would be amazingly successful, where you don't pay anything and you pay us for the energy, which is cheaper than what you pay to the grid. And then we introduced uh, this third model, which is that we said, okay, instead of uh, us 
fronting the cost of the infrastructure. You can take a loan from whether it's a bank or an NBFC or whatever, and we'll facilitate that loan through us. Um, and uh, and yeah, and you and you will own the asset uh, much sooner um, because even in these, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into like I don't want to get drawn into the technicalities of how solo works and things like that. But even in these, even in this model that we were talking about, where we pay for the infrastructure, the asset does transfer to them at the end, you know, um, after a certain period of time. So it just happens much faster when you when you when you either when you buy it outright or when, when you buy it outright, of course you own it right away. But when you take a loan, then it happens much faster. Typically, that was, if I remember correctly, the numbers were in about six or seven years, you would have complete return on your investment, mm. uh, which means that you know through the energy savings that you realize, it pays off the investment that you made in terms of installing the system. And so that's what we uh, that's that's the learning that we had in terms of uh, solar but i realize now that your original question was why <laughs> why did i leave the company the rest yeah <laughs> so when we started we wanted to get into the consumer segment we wanted to get into residential but what happened was uh, over the course of those of, of those 5 years was that most of my business was dominated by the b2b segment so 90% of my revenue came from the b2b segment even though mm. we did about maybe 50 or 60 homes across india Primarily concentrated first in the state where we were based, which was in Delhi, which is the capital. Uh, but we also got into a few other states like Chandigarh and so on and so forth. But anyway, we had quite a few homes. Uh, but in terms of what I set out to do with this company, right, which was I wanted to make an impact in a segment that was tough to crack, which which a lot of solar companies were not going to because they saw it. They saw it as challenging for a number of reasons. Like it, logistically, it's difficult to manage. I mean, if you think about it. If there's a very large business, like an industrial unit or a commercial unit, that sets up a much a, a much larger scale plant, obviously because the energy consumption is different right, compared to a home. It means that you make your revenue all in one place. That mm. one business unit represents like 50 homes. You know what I mean? So it's like logistically, when you think about how you allocate your resources, of course, it makes more sense to go to the B2B segment. Uh, and you spend less time going to one individual where there's mm. a few decision makers, right? As opposed to going to 50 different decision makers, you know? And so therefore it means, uh, it means something better for your business as well as, as, as in terms of how you run a business. And so that's, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to get into the B2C segment, because we could see all these challenges that exist in the market that were preventing solar players at the time from actually getting into the market and being successful in the market. So that's what we set out to do. But through the course of the five years and being a business and then raising funding and then being accountable to investors and, 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 and the rigors that come with running a business and having to pay salaries and things like that, we had to do, we had to go where the money was and so on. Mm. And I, I don't blame anyone. I don't blame my co-founders. I don't blame myself. I don't blame anyone, but it's just how it worked. And so it worked out in that we were skewed towards the B2B segment, which was not what we set out to do. And, 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 and I'm a firm believer in, in the work that you do should have a direct connection to social impact as well as sort of environmental impact. And so after spending five years building this baby of mine, which is very precious to me, I decided that it was not working out the way that I had first envisioned and maybe it was time to step away from the business and figure out a way that I could get back to marrying entrepreneurship with climate uh, work with social impact. Um, and so that's why I decided to step away. Uh, and when I did decide to step away, I thought about, okay, what do I do now? I'm not going to, I would have loved to have taken another 15 months to travel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and have that sure. time off, but, I, but I did think, um, 
I did think very carefully about sort of where I was placed in my life at that point. And so I thought, uh, perhaps it's time to get out of India as well for a little while mm. and go see how they do things in the developed world, um, not just the developed world, but the outside world and uh, and, and learn, uh, learn new things about sort of sustainability, climate change, climate action, climate tech, um, and also study. Uh, you know, while while I was an entrepreneur, uh, of course, as a company, we did very well. And I think as young entrepreneurs, I think we did phenomenally well for ourselves, you know. But I also recognized over the course of those five years that there were certain um, aspects of myself as an entrepreneur, as a business person that needed more work. So perhaps it was time to go study, uh, you know, because one of the things that kept me from studying for a long time when I was an entrepreneur was, hey, I'm running my own business. Why do I need to go to an MBA? Mm. Does it really make sense? I mean, being an entrepreneur is sort of like uh, doing a hit the road running MBA course. You know what I mean? But 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 like I said, I, uh, there were a lot of things that I that I realized that I can work on, uh, and then therefore become a better entrepreneur, and so therefore have better impact in terms of the work that I could do, and be a better social entrepreneur. You know, so yeah. so I decided it was time to study. It was, it was also a good time to get out of the country, um, and yeah, that's what brought me to Spain. Um, to come to IE Business School, and and and, and yeah, I, I I'm very happy with that decision. Um, and so now I'm excited to see what my next chapter is and where it takes me next. Yes, and and in what way are you thinking regarding that? Now you finished your MBA and trying to figure out what to do next and where to put your put your energy. And I know that you've been thinking a lot about it and yes. you have some ideas. I don't know how much you can share, but. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm happy to share. Uh, yeah. I mean, as a caveat, I would, I would, I would, I would just like warn your listeners that I am still working through a lot of these ideas. And so, you know, I, I, I don't claim to have any clarity or complete sort of uh, uh, complete clarity of concept or, or even just purpose of, of what I'm going to do. But 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 I but I but I think you know that's one of the things that a lot of people sort of shy away from you know is being completely honest about where they are. It's okay. It's okay to mm. be in this state right now where I don't know. And where yeah. I am is that I've graduated with an MBA after having spent a lot of money on this degree. <laughs> so I now need to do one of two things. I need to either get a job where I can recoup some of this money so that I can be financially independent and secure, which I think is important. Which means that I probably have to go for work for somebody else. But very early on in my career, I realized that if you go work for somebody else, you have to be very clear about who you're working for because sometimes you can end up working on things that just do not resonate with you, not just on a on a level of what are you passionate about, but also, you know, what is their value system and, and what does that mm. mean for the work that you're doing and how does that make you feel at the end of the day in terms of your purpose and, and your sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. So I, I, I have that lens and, and I'm very cognizant of that. And of course, being an entrepreneur and being someone that is, I believe that I'm uh, I like to think that I'm a go-getter and, and, and that I can I can institute, institute change. I'm very keen to be go back to being an entrepreneur again. And, and, and I have a lot of ideas about what I think would work, especially having done, like I said, having had a business in, this, in the sustainability space for five years, I have a lot of ideas about what worked and what didn't work. And so therefore I have a lot of ideas about how I would like to morph a future venture if I ever have a future venture. And I, mm. and I hope I will very soon. But... I ha I'm 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 right now at a crossroad, I suppose, where I have to decide: do I go get a job working for somebody else, or do I sort of think very carefully about what are these ideas that I have and how do I put them into action? And this is also biased by the fact that this lens that I have right now, where I feel that the time is now. You know, there is no time to say, "Okay, I'm going to go off." 
Well, okay, I'm not going to pass judgment on whatever anybody else is doing. That's that's completely up to them. Everybody has their own life and their own leanings and their own things that are affecting the decisions that they make. So I don't believe that there are any right or wrong answers or right or wrong ways. But I really do believe that as a as a, as a collective, as a people, as creatures on this planet that is not ours, uh, but is but is also ours, you know, in terms of the responsibility that we owe to it and what we're doing to it, that we really have to drop everything and realize that if we do not focus on what is happening to the climate because of what we are doing as a species that there is no time to waste and the time is now and if we do not take cognizance of this sit up in our seats and do something about it right now it will be too late for future generations and i feel like that is something that gets through to people you know when you talk about mm. especially when i think about you know there's like there is a system that exists right now in terms of capitalism and how it works and every system has flaws i don't believe that any system is perfect but but the way that the system is 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 made right now and conditioned is that people believe that you know this is somebody else's job there's nothing i can do about it you know what am i i'm a drop in the ocean how can i fight against the system but really it's about people coming together and really it's about you having more of a focus on your individual capacity to do things and what is mm-hmm. your individual i keep saying this you know I, I, I and i used to say this a lot in my company as well what is your individual footprint and 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 are you accountable to your individual footprint and that's not just energy it's everything in your life you know what are the products that you buy what are the companies that you support through buying those products and therefore what message are you sending to the world at large what mm-hmm. do you do with your waste you know how much waste do you generate what kind of consumer are you what do you do in terms of mass consumption of things how much do you need versus how much you have you know what are you doing with the wealth that you have versus somebody who doesn't and and how can you how can you help sort of ensure and these are all very lofty you know utopian ideas of you know just e- equality and equal distribution of wealth and I, and i recognize all of that and 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 i i recognize that i am naively optimistic yeah <laughs> and i think it's a good thing i mean yes. no, I, i don't think it's the best thing <laughs> i think i think i i i truly believe that everything in this world is balanced and so therefore there must be a balance that you walk between being optimistic and pessimistic or realistic whatever you want to call it but you know for every naive optimist like myself there is a raging pessimist who <laughs> i'll meet and so we meet somewhere in the middle and but the idea is that hopefully that we meet and we have a conversation and we're mm-hmm. able to respect each other and have a respectful discussion debate discourse whatever you want to call it that we are able to learn from one another and we come to our own decisions at the end of that conversation and we take something away from that conversation that we implement in our in our lives that that results in change mm. which is to say that i hope that i can positively influence people who either believe in what i'm saying as well as people who don't believe in what i'm saying and that even if i'm not able to convince them i'm able to broaden their outview in some way through the perspective that i have not to say that my perspective is the perspective but it is it is a perspective right mm. and similarly i feel the same way when i hear other people even people who i disagree with and it's very difficult to do i don't think that i'm i'm very good at it but i i try i listen and i'm not the most patient person but i try to keep an open mind and i think that that's something that we've lost which is that's and I, and i think that's also one of the problems that we have right now in the climate crisis which is that people have really chosen sides and this so mm. extreme right now in this belief that there is only black or white but it's not yeah. it's not how the world works and that's not how you can come together to affect change that's actually going to help us keep below 1 and 1/2 degrees so as much as i say that 
all of these people who are not cognizant of their climate footprint or not cognizant of the environment and what we're doing to the environment are in one corner and very disconnected from, you know, people um, like all of us who are talking about climate. The same goes for all the people talking about climate. You know, it's all the people talking about climate and who are climate activists and passionate about climate who are sitting in their own little bubble, yeah. talking amongst themselves, believing that we are doing the right thing when there is no right or wrong thing. Mm. Right? There is only just the decisions that you have to make based on the life that you have in front of you. But we are also pointing a finger at the people that are not in the same room as us or we believe are not in the same room as us. And what does that do? That disconnects us from them. It pushes yes. them away from us. It creates a divide. And when you create a divide, there's no way that you can do great work that brings people together. And the only way that you're going to solve this climate crisis is if the world comes together. Because this mm. is a massive, massive crisis. Sorry, I've spoken you know, for a long time now. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, we talked briefly, or we talked maybe a lot, about um, networks when we when we had a chat earlier. And I think uh, you mentioned this uh, then about the bubbles and that you found this network where, because that is often the problem with these networks, that you you just gather people with the same opinions, you know? Yes. Uh, But this, and you gave me so much, um, much inspiration to to look into these networks that you had Mm -hmm. found. For instance, Terra. Yes. Yes, can't, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and how they are working to like mix people and uh, bring these bubbles together? Absolutely, absolutely, uh, and um, and yes, shout out to Terra, great plug for them, yeah. and I'm, I'm and I'm happy to plug them because they're doing amazing work, and I, I think that they should get as much attention as, as I as I can possibly give them. So Terra is an organization that is online. Uh, they do they have online learning courses. Um, you know this, they actually. Anyway, without getting too much into the, the background of uh, of how they started off, they started off because they had, the two co-founders were doing great work in the respective fields, but they, like I was just alluding to, realized that the, clim- the planet needs us. And so we need to stop what we're doing and we need to get into, okay, how can we help people, A, get more knowledge about, cli- about you know, the, the the knowledge behind climate change, which is the science behind it, and, and and not just the science and knowledge behind it, but then also enable people with the or empower people with the information about what can you do, not just in your individual capacity, like I said, which is very important, and I think a lot of people discount, uh, also probably as a defense mechanism. Mm. But what can you do collectively, and how can you work with groups? How can you bring groups together? How can you start your own business? How can you leverage the power of your networks that you already have, like you know your respective spheres of influence that you already have? And that's why they sort of started Terra, which is to start a course to help people do this. And now, of course, they have many, many courses on their site. You know, the course that I did was called Climate, you know, Learning for Action, which is like first they teach you. It's a twelve-week course, online course, paid course, and it's got amazing content. I mean, I've, I'm someone that's like I said, I've you know I've been working in sustainability for five years, so I, and I, I've been a climate leader since 2014. I've worked in the energy space in my, on my own business for five years, and so I believed wrongly, and this misnomer, <laughs> that I know most of what there is to know about climate. You know, I know the side, but one of the reasons why I took the course is because I had been doing my MBA for a year and a half, and well, this is not a knock on my university. I think it. I think. It, I think it applies to most business schools. There is not enough sustainability curricula, curriculum mm. in, in, in the business school. There was, and I took every single course that there was available to me. It's not enough. 
Hmm. And so I and so I, I thought to myself as I was finishing my program, I said, I've been out of the system for you know a year, a year and a half. Maybe it's a good idea to take a course and sort of just refresh my knowledge, you know, uh, sort of remind myself of the the stats and the knowledge and the science and stuff that I once knew so well and was always at my fingertips. But also to expose myself to what has happened in the last one and a half years, update myself, expose myself to, to sort of what is the new technology, what is the new prevailing um, sentiment, uh, you know, what is the dom- what is the dominant narrative, what are the current problems, or the new problems, etc. So that's why I decided to take the course, and I'm so glad that I did because it really opened my eyes up to a whole host of things that I had absolutely no idea of. And 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 I, I'm the kind of person that likes to delve into many, many things. So I thought I knew about, you know, if I if I characterize it into buckets of besides energy, I, I thought of it as land, water, waste, you know, air. Uh, these are the broad buckets that I think of, but there's so much more. And 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 even within these buckets there was there was so much more that it exposed me to. This twelve week course uh, they do it very systematically. They've planned it very nicely in terms of how they take you through these twelve weeks. Each week is a new is a new concept, and it's it's geared towards people who who want to do it part time, uh, who want to do it full time. So really, just to make sure that they take all the obstacles out of you know anyone who would be able to want to sign up for this course. And so I signed up for this course. Uh, also to connect into a new network uh, because it's mm-hmm. it's an online course and this is sort of you know the the new paradigm that we live in with zoom and and everything being online and things like that which allows someone like you and me to have a conversation you know and having never met each other or you sitting in Norway mm-hmm. and me sitting in Madrid but um i i wanted to plug into another network uh, of 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 climate conscious people but also one of the things that they sold me on very quickly in the beginning when I was thinking about what to take it was they said that we have a very healthy mix of people who are climate positive in terms of, you know, positive towards climate change uh, and the action that needs to happen. But also they said that, you know, we bring in a lot of people who are climate deniers uh, and, and we want to change their minds and we want them to inter- and we want these two groups to interact. And I thought that was a fascinating idea. And yeah. I thought that I would be able to learn a lot from that. And I did learn a lot from that. You know, the, the, the confluence of these two groups of people who are not mutually exclusive people, actually, when you think about it, um, was, was for me was one of the greatest learnings. And so I, Another just you know just another quick plug about Terra is that they really bring a very diverse group of people together from all over the world, uh, and not just all over the world, which is important when you think about the different geographies, but also all sorts of different disciplines. So people, you know, scientists, writers, activists, uh, you know, people who have mm. started NGOs, you know, business people, entrepreneurs, um, people who are working in oil and gas who are still working in oil and gas. You know? And the and the fact of the matter is that oil and gas is not going away. So there's no point sitting here thinking, okay, we need to we need to replace oil and gas with renewable. That's not going to happen realistically. It's a slow mm. process of how you phase it out. So oil and gas is here to stay for quite a few years to come. So what we need to figure out is how do we work it from the inside? So how do the oil and gas people who work in oil and gas become more cognizant of the carbon, yes. of their carbon footprint and, and, and work changes from the inside? And so things like that, you know, the, the faculty that they have are experts in their field. They're amazing. These are really world-renowned scientists, world-leading players in terms of business people, uh, you know, uh, foundations, uh, community mobilizers, Across the board, everything from, like I said, everything from land, water, waste, air, energy, uh, climate psychology, uh, climate communication, uh, 
all sorts of distant disciplines and the faculty and the visiting faculty and the guest lecturers that they get are top of their field. So you're learning from the best of the best who are mm. at the cutting edge, which means they're exposed to the latest problems, the latest solutions, the latest technology. And they've been doing this for many, many years. So they come with a background and a context, which is very, very useful when you have to sort of get somebody up to speed and, and, and set them off on the right path. So I cannot recommend this course enough. That's also the beauty of this new online system is like the Slack channel that I'm part of now, you know, mm. because I've just graduated my MBA and I'm looking for jobs and things. I'm now plugged into many, many, many Slack channels, which are all climate focused. So shout out to a few of them, because I believe you should all go and join them. There's one called Climate Action Tech, which helps people who want to work on climate action specifically in the tech sector. There's one which is called Work on Climate, which is for people who are working in uh, where or whatever they're working in right now, but want to work in climate. And so therefore, this helps you understand, you know, where are the opportunities, connect you to people who can guide you, how can you transition out of your current job, you know, also what, where are the job openings, people who are looking, you know, it's a mix of demand and supply. That's work mm. on climate. There's another one that I'm also part of, which is called Climate Change Makers. Uh, and Climate Change Makers is a great one. It's a great initiative. It's based in the US, and I'm actually part of the team that's trying to bring it to Europe right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, also, please, big shout out to all your listeners. Anybody who's interested in helping us, uh, you know, we're really uh, looking now to help build out this team of volunteers. Uh, and so, very quickly, um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, you know, you have to rein me in sometimes, okay? Because I jump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Uh, I will have to put all these uh, links in the show notes. And so Climate Change Makers is also, uh, that's a network, right? Climate Change Makers is also a network, but it's a network geared towards action, very specifically, yes. not just political action, but it is very focused on political action, but it's geared towards how can people, A, educate themselves on the issues that are at hand, like which are the issues of the day. So mm -hmm. Climate Change Makers works in this way, where every week they have what is called an hour of action. So the team at Climate Change Makers chooses an issue. Like let's say, for example, they choose something like carbon sequestration or, you know, um, carbon sinks or energy or, you know, what is your energy policy in your country? Anything. They choose, they choose specific ones, but they choose ones which have the most impact in terms of how, what are we doing where we can have sort of, you know, good knock-on effects. Mm. So they choose one, one issue for every week. They prepare and they do a lot of research. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into this. They prepare a, a research briefing. A and, and, not, and when I say research briefing, I don't mean like a boring technical research briefing. They pre prepare something that is palatable, uh, you know, visual slides, you know, so people who come with no background can pick it up and, 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 and process it very easily. They prepare a briefing every week on one how, this is what you need to know about to be able to educate yourself on this. You know, this is the basics that you need to know. And then after that, they go one step further to say, this is what you can do. And this is what the prevailing sentiment is amongst your political class, which is that these, and, you know, a lot of people forget this, but, you know, in the democratic system, elected representatives are representatives. That means they represent you. They're supposed to represent your ideas and your, your, your beliefs and your leanings so if you are not giving your representatives feedback on what they should be doing in terms of you know as a political agent what are they if they're if you're not giving them feedback how will they represent you you, mm. you know and so therefore how are you part of the system so one of the things that they've done extremely successfully in the u.s is they've set up this way of helping people understand how can you connect with your elective representatives whether that's at the state level at the central level you know they are accountable to you 
So one of the things that I've learned, which I was not aware of in the US, is that if you call your senator or whatever it is, your, you know, whoever your representative at, at a local level, and you request a meeting, he, he or she has to take it. Even mm. if he or she does not take it, one of his staffers will take it. And they have to take your feedback and they have to see how they can incorporate that into either a bill that is an existing bill that's on the floor or creating a new bill if it's something that is absolutely sort of urgent or requires sort of, you know, direct intervention. Or how do they sort of uh, direct attention to it in terms of the, the the discourse around it, like the political discourse around it? And we're seeing that now, of course, in, in the US with things like the, the Green New Deal and people like AOC and now Biden and things like that. But this is what they do. They get people together. They grow this community. So they're also growing this community of people. So that is that if I bring you, then you will bring your friends. And, you know, this is how we grow. And this is the domino effect. And this is how it works. You know, this is how things go viral in the age of social media. And that's what we need. And so you bring, you know, I bring you, you bring your friends. We all come together. We learn something together. We have a discussion. And then at the end of the session, we talk about, okay, what can I go out and do? How can I contact my political representatives? And how can they represent me better? Because at the end of the day, no matter what we do at an individual level the policies have to be in place and the policies have to be favorable and they have to be aligned and so a lot of policies are very outdated right because they don't get updated they don't they don't relook at them you know uh, as often enough as they should uh, or as urgently as they should and so that's what climate change makers does and so that's what they do in the US where now there's a bunch of us about 15 or 20 of us that are now trying to do this here in Europe and that's called CCM Europe we're, we're urgently looking for volunteers. So anybody who hears this, who's based in Europe, please reach out to me. Please reach out to Vesmoy. She'll get you, put you in touch with me. Uh, we need as many hands on deck. Like I said, you know, it's just, there's, there, there is no time to be picky and exclusive. Mm. Everybody has to be part of it and everybody has to be part of the conversation. And so we need people to help us uh, to come join as volunteers, to be join as, you know, part of this, like what, what we're calling like the core team of committee members, steering committee, because we're setting it up. Um, and yeah, that's something that that we're, and we're, and we're actually hoping to take it to India, right? Uh, as well, I just had a conversation yeah. today with 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 a person based in India, and we and I said, there is no CCM India. Why not? Let's start it. And even yeah. if it starts small and it and it and it, and it doesn't sort of uh, have as as quick results as 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 it could, because I'm also doing this remotely. Um, but let's let's get it started. Let's kick, let's get the ball rolling because there is no time. There is no tomorrow. <laughs> the time no, exactly. is now. Yeah. And so that's that's so. That's so... Yeah. I'm absolutely really interested to be a part of it. So, what happens when you when we like? What's the next step in that uh, okay. process with a okay. Europe uh, for Europe uh, for CCM Europe? Part. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so we have a squad working on the marketing uh, in terms of you know getting people getting the word out to people. We have a squad working on the research that we do for these hour these weekly hours of action. We have a squad working on going out to corporates to to to, to get them to join these sessions so that they educate themselves but also to mm. sort of you know sponsor a session so that we can you know we can have greater reach and and and, and reach out to more people and I, and when i say sponsor i don't mean financially it just means however they can help us you know mm. and and also you know tap into their networks you know the networks are powerful things and then there's another squad you know that, so there are various squads like these and so we need to populate these squads with people so that we are working uh you know because this is all volunteer based uh, so we we need as many people as we can possibly get but we need committed people people who are willing to give uh, if i'm being honest you know you need to be able to commit Three hours a week, you know, and, and, and three hours a week is not asking for very much. I mean, I know that we all we all have sort of, uh, you know, many, many sort of things that take our time in the week. But I think we can carve out three hours a week to ensure that, you know, we help the planet. Uh, and when I say three hours, it means that, you know, for half an hour a week, we meet uh, to sort of as a team to discuss what is the what is the plan for that week. 
45 minutes actually. And then we spend an hour at the actual hour of action. Right. And then there's, so that's an hour, uh, hour of 45 minutes. And then the remaining time, which is probably another hour and 15 minutes is the work that you have to do on your own time, which is a little bit of research, depending on which squad you're in, right? Which is the mm. little bit of work that you're going to have to do, uh, you know, for that week, which is the, the task that we set up in terms of what we're doing. And so for you, if you're, Sorry, sometimes I just don't answer questions directly, and I just <laughs> I just go off on a tangent. But to answer your question, what you can yeah. do is you can join today's call at yeah. 6 p.m. And like that, there will be many more calls, uh, which I'll be happy to all the people who connect to me. I'll be happy to let you know how you can join it, and we'll probably be recording today's call, so I'll have a I'll be able to share the recording for people who missed today's call. And then the next thing that you can do, Veshmoy, is uh, join the Hour of Action. Every yeah. it's every it's every Tuesday, uh, typically six p.m. CEST, um, and um, and yeah, you can join the hour of action mm-hmm. uh, just to get started, see what it is, get us get a flavor of it, uh, give us feedback on what you think we can change or, mm-hmm. or what you think maybe we could do better, uh, and then go out and tell your friends about it and bring them, and so that the next week we have more people, uh, yeah. and 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 in and, and in that way, I think the community grows. Um, and it's an amazing community of people, you know, uh, the people that I'm working with right now, they all come from sort of different walks of life, all in different parts of the world. Every week we meet and we discuss new things every week on our Slack channel. So that's another Slack channel, Climate Change Makers. Mm. We share articles, we share knowledge, uh, you know, we share, you know, can you help with this? Mm. Uh, do you know someone who can help with this? And and really, uh, really, it's, it's, it's community, you know, and, and, and community yeah. is going to and- help us get across the line. And action. This is super relevant for the topic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the ideas that I have for one of my future businesses is. Yes. We, we didn't get to that. Did you, did you want to share something more about that? Yeah. Sure. Sure. I can. And and these are just ideas that I'm just throwing out. And and, and maybe maybe if I throw it out into the universe, something will stick and something will happen and come back. You never know. You never know. Absolutely. And so, uh, a couple of the ideas that I had from, from my time. But that, my dear listeners, you will have to wait for the next episode to hear more about. What ideas will Arjun be sharing? And as he just said, if you throw something out into the universe, maybe something will stick. And that is exactly what he will do. But I know this is a very full and long episode, so I'm dividing it up into two parts. But rest assured, the next episode will air in only a few days. So until then check out the links I will be sharing in the show notes. Arjun has so many good tips to interesting networks and resources. And there will be even more resources to dig into after the next part. Bye for now. Talk to you soon. Bye.